Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I was dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information. And I got to tell you, Stephanie, that's a staggered disclosure. That's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period, making you feel insecure, unsure, and unsafe. So what we got to do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment. is going on with the um, audio. It absolutely sounds terrible. So I hope I'm sounding okay. If anybody's listening and you want to email me at carol at carolthecoach.com, if I'm still sounding as shaky as that intro, please let me know right now and I will call back into the show. You know, these are pretty tough times right now, and um, I I don't know why this would be affected. I know that I'm doing a lot of Zoom calls, and Zoom, when it normally takes two or three minutes to get a response, so many people are wanting to help others by using Zoom and staying safe that, my goodness, what has transpired is there are 140 people on the queue, and I have to wait that long. And, you know, that is just not something I'm good at doing. Patience is the one thing that I say that I need more of. Uh, It's a virtue for sure. Now, I want to tell you something. I know that we're all freaked out about COVID-19. And many of you have been directly affected. I've gotten a lot of calls from clients and from coaches and from clinicians where a family member has been laid off and they're not doing well. And of course, they're worried about food, clothing, and shelter. And I don't want to underestimate that at all. But I do want to say that I 100% believe that, you know, 
I am a believer in staying positive. I don't know if any of you saw my YouTube video this week on we may not be able to change our circumstances right now to the degree that we'd like, but we are able to change our thinking. And what that means is that we are able to look at life differently. Now, if you're hungered down at home and you're not able to go out, and boy, I get that, um, then really the very next thing that you want to do is change your attitudes so that you see the good in life, the positive. So I was talking to um, about a 70-year-old woman earlier, and she had been betrayed by her husband, and they're working on things, and it's a rocky road. It's not always good. When he's doing well, he's doing great. And then when he falls off the wagon, he is just not um, empathetic. He does not put himself in her shoes at all. And so I said, hey, can I stop you for a minute? Might I ask you if we could do the following? I know that you're scared about COVID, and I know that partner betrayal is the worst betrayal ever, and you've had a lot of reverb from that. But let's just do an exercise, and I want to see how you feel. She said, okay. I said, so when you think about your life right now and what's going on in the environment with your husband and with your kids, what number would you give us one to ten? Ten is um, I really have nothing to worry about. And then one is my life is in the pits and my thoughts are ruminating and I'm angry and I'm hurt. I, I barely can function. Well, she said I give my, my uh, life right now a six. And so I said, okay, let's, let's practice this for one minute. I said, actually, let's give it three minutes. So I said, one of the things that I believe about COVID is that it has to help me turn my life around and see the positive. Um, anybody who knows me knows I am a full-fledged workaholic. Yes, I am. And this is forcing me to slow down. So that's a blessing. COVID is affording me. And then I said, now it's your turn. And she said, well, I'm not worried much about cooking and cleaning and that kind of stuff, but I got to tell you, I'm pulling things out of the freezer that I usually have to pull out and throw away because I don't get way back in the back of the freezer and grab stuff. I So a lot of stuff goes bad, and what I'm noticing is I'm clearing out my freezer and using the food. Okay, blessing number two. And then I said, well, you know, I work out at a gym. For any of you that don't know, I work out in a gym. And then the opposite days, I power walk or a whole room of fitness equipment that I was using before I joined the gym last year in April. But since I've been going to the gym, I haven't used any of it. So it's reacquainting me with my Pilates table, 
I bought that Pilates table when I was 60. I'm 64 right now. Um, And I hadn't touched it in 11 months. (laughs) So it was really fun to get back on my Pilates table. And I wouldn't have done that if I had been at LA Fitness today. Um, And she said, yeah, I get it. And she said, well, I decided since I'm into self-help and I, I do a lot of that kind of stuff that COVID was really stressing me out. And so I wanted to read good novels. And then she said, do you have any recommendations for a good novel? I said, okay, now it's my turn. And um, I said, well, that it's really afforded me an opportunity to reach out. One of the things I really believe in is being kind. And so I am contacting people that I haven't talked to in a while. And I've said, how are you doing? Do you need anything? I am going into the office. I can drop things by for you. Okay. So you get the gist of this, right? That instead of fretting and worrying, even if, even if I didn't have a job right now, I would still want to see the positives in this situation so that I felt better. If nothing else, it neutralizes and balances some of the stress. And that's what I want you all to do with COVID. And you know my post-traumatic growth course that I have on my website. I, I believe that that's good post-traumatic growth. And if you listen to the women in that course, there are eight of them that talk about how did they get on the other side of partner betrayal. And it was when they shifted their thinking and learned how to get healthier. Speaking of thinking, we're going to be talking today. I'm I'm super excited about this. My friend and colleague, Lachelle Burkett, um, is the executive director and lead hope center for hope redefined. I'm sorry, lead hope caster for hope redefined. And that's an amazing uh, practice she has. And she has a spiritual ministry. And Lachelle knows that her broken heart was healed through her faith in Jesus Christ. And she said to me, hey, Carol, I want to get on and talk about cultural gaslighting. Okay, this is when I like when the youngins can teach us something. But to be real honest, I have never heard of cultural gaslighting. So I said, tell me more. And then she said, you know, it's like this whole Super Bowl thing. Well, actually, I think what really triggered her, that triggered her, and, you know, I talked about this weeks ago on the show. But I think what triggered her last was the fact that Dolly Parton um, has agreed to posing for Playboy at age 75. And everyone is applauding her for it because she's still got it. And Lachelle maintains, and rightfully so, that's cultural gaslighting. Now, the truth of the matter is we should all be really happy with our bodies no matter what. Our bodies are our temples, right, ladies? But the reality is most women are very self-critical about our bodies. 
And I would say that Dolly Parton um, absolutely, indubitably, has had more surgery done than anybody I know. I don't know her. But, you know, she brags about it. So she's had all this plastic surgery to tighten up, to boost up, and, and, you know, she has always accented her curves. And so now that she's going to pose at 75 at Playboy, I get where some people would say, wow, that's amazing. The matter is that it's going to make a lot of people feel insecure about their bodies. Most people don't have the money to do what she's done to her body. And I would venture to say that I bet there are a lot of women that would say, I won't do, even if I had the money, I won't do what she's done to her body. And then for all the partners that are listening, there is no doubt that when somebody accentuates their body in a way that sexualizes themselves, then they are setting themselves up for lust and objectification. And cultural gaslighting, obviously, is that kind of psychological manipulation in which our culture um, says that, you know, this is what we need to do. This is who you need to be. And, And then doubt the judgment of people that say, no, I don't believe in big breasts. No, I don't believe in plastic surgery. No, I don't believe somebody should get naked and be in magazines that are going to be sold at grocery stores. You get the drift. So I can't wait to talk with Michelle uh, about what her thoughts are, not just about the event, the Super Bowl, but and Dolly Parton posing nude, but also about how she is seeing going on in the culture today and and why she calls that gaslighting. And, you know, we both know that Dolly Parton is a woman who has so many platforms and she exudes spirituality. She's always talking about her Lord. But she also is presenting an image that not only affects women across the world, but it affects our kids too. Okay, that's what I have to say about that. And what I really believe is that to decide how do we combat, if you will, those kind of messages and what can we do in a proactive and positive way to... Um, send the message of what we think is important and talk about gaslighting and cultural gaslighting so that people will look at this from a different framework. So, Michelle, I want to welcome you to Partner Betrayal Recovery Radio, and thank you so much for bringing up this important topic. Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me and letting us talk about it. Yeah. So, so. Tell me 
how did you hear about Dolly Parton? We'll talk about the Super Bowl in a minute. And we do have some static on the line, and I'm just so sorry about that. That, I do believe, is something that um, is going on with the radio station. It's not me or you. But we'll get through it together. Can can you tell me a little bit about that? Tell me how you heard about Dolly. Yeah, so actually a friend of mine had posted – um, just a short snippet on Facebook, on social media, and it was just a tagline. Uh, Dolly wants to be something like the extent of Dolly wants to be on the cover of Playboy for her 75th birthday. And, yeah, my initial reaction was just sadness and a lot of confusion. So, But that is how I heard about it. Okay. And, you know, I was telling our listening audience before you got on that Dolly obviously talks about her Christianity and her spirituality. And so she's really sending a lot of uh, double messages, if you will. Now, you call going on in our world what Dolly is being a part of it, cultural gaslighting. So can you share a little bit about your definition for cultural gaslighting? Also... Uh, why do you believe that this is happening in uh, this example? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with the term gaslighting, um, if they've spent some time listening to some of your previous shows. And, but I'll define it again just so everyone knows that you know, gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt into a targeted person um, or group of people making them question their own memory, perception, judgment. Um, and then the online definition goes on to say often evoking in them cognitive dissonance and other um, changes such as low self-esteem. And so as I begin to watch this type of situation happen, and case in point of Dolly Partner, even the Super Bowl, um, this is really our culture doing this to us. It's a psychological manipulation in which our culture associates with doubt in a targeted audience of people, whether it's an individual, a situation, an event, or a moral thought. And then making the cultural um, question their own memory, perception, or judgment, oftentimes evoking a cognitive dissonance and other changes in personal value and worth, such as low self-esteem and self-hate. And I saw this gaslighting, this cultural gaslighting, and I'll, I'll give my friend Julie credit for using the word because it was such a, she nailed it, calling it gas, cultural gaslighting, um, watching the way that my that friends, ex- close and extended friends, you know, on social media were responding to certain things like the Super Bowl show and even this new information with Dolly Parton, there's a lot of confusion as they continue to talk about this being female empowerment and, you know, women are rising up under the, you know, from underneath the um, oppression and different things like that, when in actuality, you know, we, as you continue just to do research into pornography, understanding that it's it's enslaving women, it's not freeing them, and so that's a real difficult thing for me to stand behind and let my friends go on talking about, hey, look at her at 50 years old or 75 years old that she can still do this, and I'm on the other side going, the ramifications of what's coming out of her choice is far greater 
and way more deceptive and manipulative than what is actually being presented to us in the forefront. Yeah, and so knowing that you, just like myself, really believe that um, this feeds into a whole cultural um, objectification in general. Um, mm-hmm. What can we as women do to stand up for something very different? Wow, that's a great question, Carol. Um, I think, uh, so one of the things I felt like I could take on myself in in the ministry that we have in the um, platform that we have, which is just having a blog and social media presence, I made the decision to write a letter to Dolly Parton. Um, mm. And I've attempted to send it to her personally, but have not been able to find an email address that will go, um, that's been good and valid, so it's been rejected to me a couple times. But finally, I made the decision to make it into a blog in hopes that she would reconsider her decision. And I'm just really, um, yeah, hopefully that she'll reconsider her decision to pose for Playboy for her birthday. And in that, I really just talked about the implement, implications of her choice and the way that she's she's speaking such a confusing message. So, but, I mean, if you didn't have a blog, I mean, I think going back to that question of what could we do, and I think a piece of it is not, I think when our culture is silent, it oftentimes is speaking louder than they're actually saying something. I think the silence is the part that causes a lot of this gaslighting is because you're not hearing people stand up and go, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. Like, why is that okay, but this isn't okay? And across the board, you know, across the board. So those would be just some of my initial thoughts of how do we speak out against this? Well, absolutely. And, you know, you and I both know that the impact on family systems is absolutely huge. Both from, you know, I mean, from both sexes of children, you know, for our boys, for our teenage boys and our teenage girls and and younger than that, and our husbands, our wives, whatever. Um, Tell us a little bit about what impact you believe this situation is creating in our culture today. Yeah. So, if I were just going to stay with the with the conversation around Dolly Parton in and of itself, um, I th- and well, I think it really could apply to both situations. I think that Jennifer uh, Lopez has, you know, a lot of respect from younger the younger generations. But I can give you the example that I specifically use is that um, I, I we live in East Tennessee, so we live right out we live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and you need to understand that for those who are not familiar with this. Dolly Parton is our celebrity. Like she grew up in this area, she pours into this community on a regular basis. She's an incredible philanthropist, and she just does things um, in such a giving way. And so the funny thing is, is that at one point I took our one of our we took some of our kids to Dolly Parton or to Dollywood, and my five year old was convinced that she lived there. Like this is how like ingrained this woman is in our story. And so when she wasn't there. My daughter was very disappointed that she wasn't, quote, home at Dollywood. Um, but the thing that was that I feel like is such an important thing for us to remember, like Dolly Parton is coming into our homes with, um, in the state of Tennessee, and I think you can get it in most states. She actually has a program called Imagination Library. 
which is her position in attempting to combat um, and support literacy and growth and reading and skills and all those things. And so my kids have been getting books in the mail from Dolly Parton every month since they were born to the age of five. And her sweet little face is on that book, and they know that Dolly Parton is sending them books. And so as I continue to think about the way that a decision like going and, and putting yourself on the front of a pornographic magazine is going to be so conflicting and confusing to a younger generation who knows you as something completely different. And, you know, at one point I even, I was just having a conversation with my husband and I said, what in the world would we do if my nine-year-old was innocently just looking for Dolly Parton and then suddenly came across her images, her pornographic images, because at 75 she decided to go do this again. Like the confusion for me is the platform just doesn't seem to offer what I, I don't, I don't know her purpose. Like she didn't state why she necessarily wanted to pose for Playboy at 75, other than I'm assuming she's 75. And there's a part of this where she's kind of like punching age in the face, right? Like, look at me, I can still do this at 75. But my plea to her is that this movement, this, this shift is, really taking us back to 1978, which was the year that she originally posed on the cover of Playboy. And she's come so far and done such incredible work in our, in our world. Um, that that just seems like such a, it seems like such a backside, but then also just a really confusing message. So, um, so yeah, I think, I hope that answers your question. (laughs) No, absolutely. And, and again, that, not only the confusion that that can create, but when our kids are dealing with being sexualized early on, they're watching videos, they're taking dance classes, you know, they're playing, they're gaming, and they're seeing a sexualized society, you know, what they're going to want to believe is that other projection of, what a woman is like, because that's Uh the one that other kids are paying attention to. That's the one that little boys are paying attention to. And so it really conflicts them on at least an unconscious level about what they should do. And if they come from a family that's talking about this, I mean, if one thing the Super Bowl did is it really helped families to talk about that halftime show. And what they may hear for the kids that didn't see the halftime show, what they're going to hear about the halftime show, you know, the following week. Um, So I want to ask you, obviously, Mm -hmm. we knew Jennifer Lopez and (laughs) Shakira were going to put on a show similar to what we saw. Now, did you get to see the show? I uh, chose not to watch the show live because of mm-hmm. knowing who the performers were. And I was, we were playing, you know, we were watching that as a family. And so we just made the choice to guard our hearts and not do that live. Um, but I mm-hmm. did make the choice to go back and watch it later because I really wanted to have a valid perspective on it before I ever had an opinion. So I did see it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You and I think alike. That's exact. I was at a party. <laughs> And, of course, when they came on and there were TVs in every room and um, everybody was pretty 
fixated to some degree. I mean, they were still talking to each other and, and laughing and not giving it 100% focus. At least not everybody was. But I chose to get up and leave. And I had a men's group on Monday night, uh, 10 men that are in recovery from sexual addiction. And the very, I said, who wants to check in? And the very first check-in was, hey, was your wife triggered from the halftime show. And probably seven out of the ten men were with their wives. And I was very surprised that probably five out of the seven wives sat there and watched the show with their husband. Because I know a lot of um, partners, they wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, it would have just been too triggering for them. But Absolutely. And then there were a couple of women that were not you know, I had a couple of guys that went to their buddies' houses and that with their wife's permission, you know, and, and then came back for the halftime <laughs> because they wanted to show that they, you know, weren't oogling the, the entertainment. So uh-huh. my point is that the men in this group are partner sensitive and they were really worried about how it affected their wives. And, and they went on and on about that. And I said, hey, how many of you had kids in the room? And about four of them did. And and they said, yeah, we talked together, the partners talked with the, with the husbands afterwards about what should we have done there. So they let their children watch, but they regretted it afterwards. And that's where we're at as a society. It's still hard to know what do you do and perhaps if there had been more information about that ahead of time, um, and I don't know, maybe you saw some. I I didn't. I knew what was going to happen, but I didn't see blogs coming up. I didn't see front pages of the paper saying, hey, don't expose your kids to what could be considered soft pornography. Um, I remember thinking the same thing when I watched Beyonce, and I, I'm not uh-huh. a prude. But I definitely now have a way different perspective of the fact that I don't want to see anybody sexualizing themselves or being sexualized and objectified. It's just not healthy for our environment. So I went back and watched it afterwards, um, especially when I heard things like there were kids that were singing and kids that were dancing. And I... I was more concerned about that aspect. How was that going to be perceived? Uh, so what did you think about the child involvement? I, I went to YouTube myself and watched that Pepsi replay. Yeah. Um, it's really grieving, to be honest with you. And um, it was, we certainly had to have some conversations in our home. We have, we have a total of five kids, but we have three daughters and, Two of them are, well, three of them are in elementary school, but two of them are in fifth and fourth grade. And so they didn't see the halftime show, but it was certainly discussed at school following. Um, And so, you know, there were lots of, um, you know, nine-year-old opinions floating around. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it was difficult because my one daughter said, well, someone told me that I don't like, I don't care for women if I didn't like the halftime show. And this is coming out of elementary age little girls, right? And it was disappointing and disheartening to hear her say that because truly my hope is is that, you know, if you've ever seen the meme where it talks about, you know, 
you don't hurt another woman, you straighten her crown and you help her move on. That kind of mentality of like, that's embracing and empowering each other. And so, you know, my daughter and I had these really direct conversations where I just had to, I had to be really honest with her and say, you know, that we don't believe that our value is going to come from our body, but from our mind and our spirit and, you know, our soul and the people that we are as we carry ourselves to this world. And I know that there are critics that could say, yeah, Michelle, you probably say that because of your appearance, right? Because you don't look like Jennifer Lopez, which I do not, right? But honestly, I was just as sad for Jennifer Lopez. Like, I was just um, grieved by the fact that here we have women who are, have such a position. Like, she could have come out of there. I mean, I truly feel like she should have, she could have come out and been in, um, in a wardrobe that was, appropriate um it was it could have still been flashy right sparkles and all the fun things that come with that and still been able to perform to to the extent that she needed to to be considered a great performer and have completely left the stripper pole out of the whole situation and you know and i had friends that were debating that it was actually a political statement the whole thing was you know around different things within the latino culture and i finally just spoke up and said if that was the case I guarantee you that the sexualization of that entire show overshadowed any kind of political agenda and no one got it. So it's just disheartening. And I know that, um, you know, I read, I actually saw her do an interview, but then I also read, you know, on the, um, the uh, national coalition for sexual exploitation, where they're talking about Jennifer included her 11 year old daughter in the process on stage and singing. And, it just is it's difficult to think that that's the model. Like that little girl is going to grow up with that being the model of what success looks like. Mm-hmm. And I'll also say, you know, this was the hardest part for me, and this is just reality. When Jennifer Lopez came off that stage and Shakira came off that stage, they have personal bodyguards who are going to protect them from anything that might cause harm. And that is not the truth that's happening within our sexual culture in strip clubs and coming out of it, those women are, they're abused, they're attacked, they're, they're, everything is taken from them. And so the national, the organization for sexual exploitation said it, they were like, you know, we have to, we've explained it before and we'll say it again, that stripping is not empowering to women. And so here we are and we're modeling it as a sense of entertainment and it creates a total confusion as to, like, is that an occupation that you're going to start now encouraging your daughters to go have is to be a stripper? And and most most Americans would say, oh, no, that's not what we're going to do. And then the, so then the question goes back to then why are we why are we allowing it to be prime time entertainment? Yeah, and you know I heard an interview with uh, Jennifer, and it was it was an Oprah interview, and it was a, a stadium interview and so Oprah initially said girl this is your year and you know and meaning because she was engaged and because she got to do the Super Bowl and 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 then she alluded to the fact that there was controversy around her performance and I knew you know we've got good intuition and I knew that there was a part of her that also knew that what she was doing was wrong. 
But mm. what she said was I sat back and watched Shakira for the first 16 minutes of the halftime. And there was so much pressure on me to be more exciting and to be more um, eye-catching and to dance harder because Shakira is an incredible dancer and singer. And I felt that pressure well up in me. And so I sensed that she was conflicted, like we're talking about women are conflicted, that they're, mm-hmm. you know, there's that knowing that there's nothing wrong about this, but the pressure to do it anyway for the attention, for the money, for who knows how many different reasons. Um, and, and that's what's so sad. So going back to our original discussion of cultural gaslighting, for mm-hmm. anybody who may be turning on this show for the first time, and have never heard of the term gaslighting that occurs oftentimes in partner betrayal between um, men with problematic sexual behavior, could be a woman if she were the addict, and the partner, explain to our listening audience first what is gaslighting within the context of partner betrayal. Yeah, so... Oftentimes, my easiest way to explain gaslighting is to give you examples of it <laughs> because you've probably lived it um, as a right. player. But usually, um, gaslighting is the way that I, I usually explain it is um, if you've ever sat in conversations where you come out of it and you feel really mentally confused because things get twisted really fast on you, or there's oftentimes really common phrases um, like, um, Oh, you're just being over, like she could be having a high emotional response to something. Let's just say she's been triggered, right? And she's upset and flustered and he begins to just set in, you're making a really big deal out of nothing. This is really, you know, this is really not that big of a deal or you're so over emotional. You're so this, you're so that. And so, um, you know, and so what it does is over a course of time and especially from, you know, the same individual over and over again, it begins to make you almost feel crazy. And, you know, we, you know, we use that uh, gaslighting clip in our training with APSATs, and it's, the, it's just the absolute best, where it's a constant place of manipulation. And sometimes, I do believe that sometimes the perpetrator, the gaslighter, may or may not know what they're doing. Some of it is probably learned behaviors from family of origin. It's the way that they've always seen, in, you know, relationships and interactions happen. But there's just this sense of confusion that's constantly happening. And so it's um, another example is that you may have a, an altercation or an argument or even just a discussion. And then you come back to that person and you're like, Hey, I wanted to ask a question about that again. And you repeat back what they say. And they're like, I didn't say that. And you're like, you totally said that. They're like, no, I didn't. You're making that up. I didn't say that. And so you're sitting there with all of that confusion trying to go, well, did they not say it? And then eventually you start to, your mind really starts to feel like it's tricking you. And you're going, I did, I, I'm lying to myself all the time. I make stuff up because it's the, the narrative that's being spoken over you. So hopefully that connects there. But the official definition is gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person is sowing seeds of doubt into a, another person is really what it comes down to. And it's a constant thing. And it makes that person question their memory, their perception, their judgment, um, 
and then really begins to mess with them and really starts to impact self-esteem, confidence, obviously, um, it could be body image. It could be all uh, just a slew of things, the way that it begins to manipulate your mind. Well, absolutely. So, and and so you're also I don't an know expert. if I, you add anything to it. <laughs> well, no, I, I can say that, you know, I, I'm in such a specialized niche, and I don't talk much about it with my husband because – it's pretty. It's a pretty dark place, and so he knows what I do, but he doesn't know in detail. And so one day I was saying to him, we have an account where he actually is the manager of it, and I said, hey, did you put that money in that account? Knowing that he didn't, I don't even know why I asked him, because he's never made a deposit in the account. And he says to me, well, yes, I did. And I go, and I realized then, why did I even ask him that? I know he did. And I said, well, honey, I don't think you did. Um, you, you've never actually made a deposit at our account, have you? And he goes, I don't do it very much, but I did in this situation. And I go, really? Did you give me the deposit slip so I could put that in our checkbook? And he goes, no, because I handled the checkbook. And I said, well, will you do me a favor and bring out the checkbook because I'm having a hard time believing this. And he looks at me and he goes, stop gaslighting me. Stop gaslighting me. And he he meant it. And I said, well, I immediately stopped what I was doing because what I heard was I was disagreeing enough that he felt bullied. (laughs) So I stopped Uh immediately. And I let it go because it really didn't matter. I, I think I knew what I knew, but I let it go. And the next day when I came home from work, I said, hey, sweetie, where'd you hear that term, gaslighting? And he said, from you. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I've heard you on podcasts and stuff. You know, I'm. he's upstairs a lot when I'm doing my podcast. And so we had heard it, and, you know, we've never even talked about it. And I said, well, I just want to tell you that, I did not intentionally mean to make you feel crazy. And the true definition of gaslighting is when somebody is intentionally making you doubt yourself so that you'll be manipulated. And I promise you I wasn't doing that. Now, that's the same thing that happens in my office sometimes. When couples will argue or disagree and I don't know about you, Michelle, but I've been working 40 years with couples, and it is a universal, not just in partner betrayal or sex addiction, but just in couples uh-huh. in general. He will believe Agreed. he said something. Yeah. She will believe she said something. And so there will be this argument, I do it in my own marriage, where, you know, it's kind of like my husband's a salesman and on the road a lot, and I wonder – does he have these conversations with me before he comes home and therefore he thinks he's had them? And, and me uh-huh. too, you know, do I do the same thing to him? And that's not gaslighting. But if there's manipulation involved and if it's intentional uh-huh. to make you feel like you're going crazy or to doubt yourself, that is true gaslighting. And so, again, can we say that the Super Bowl was intentional, cultural gaslighting? 
I know Absolutely. I'm asking you a big question here. Yes. <laughs> because yeah. if, you, if you continue to wrestle with that truth and that manipulation of going, that was inappropriate. And the Super Bowl and the rest of the culture is coming back going, no, it wasn't. Why are you, why are you hating on women? And you're going, no, actually, that was really devastating for women. And they're like, no, it wasn't. That was empowerment. So there's that manipulation of getting you to go to a direction that doesn't really line up. Would you agree to that, Carol? Like, a hundred billion percent. Yeah. And you know what I even agree with? That, that those people that are feeling that way really may believe that. I mean, I guess I would also want to know, have we indoctrinated society in such a way that we have created a new normal that is not normal? It's not healthy. It's not normal. And it feeds into um, adultery, uh, sexuality, unhealthy sexuality, just in all sorts of ways. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, yeah, actually, I wanted to add two thoughts. The first thing I want to add really quick is if someone is looking for an explanation for gaslighting, I'm going to just put in a plug for Sarah Morales' video, and it's on Affair Recovery, and her name is Sarah Morales, and she does a beautiful job um, really helping individuals understand gaslighting, and I know that she's really specialized in that area. So I definitely want to put that out there. If you want to, AffairRecovery.com is where you can find that video. Um, but to go back to your question about the implications to this deception of cultural gaslighting, uh, one of the things I found was um, on the American College of Pediatricians in 2016, so it's been several years ago, they wrote an article on the impact of pornography on children and families. And they talk about, in, in I mean, multiple different cases and studies. And so it was like, it was really fun to be able, not fun, it was actually sad, but to be able to see it from a scientific perspective perspective over a faith-based perspective, but just talking about the way that children suffer with so many side effects due to modern society's exposure, exposure to an acceptance of pornography. And it says, I'm just going to read it because I want to make sure I don't misquote it. It says, these negative effects include mental disturbance and unrest for a young school-aged child, including acting out and violent behavior. Uh, Because of its harmfulness to children, pornography must never be used as a tool to teach children human sexuality. And they go on to say, for older adolescents and young adults, pornography teaches a false narrative regarding human sexuality and how men and women form healthy sexual relationships. This makes it more difficult for young men and women to, to form authentic, stable relations or relationships. And which, I, you know, Carol, I bet you and I could give 50 stories of young married couples and them coming in, and they've, they, that is where all their sexual education came from was pornography. And here they are mm-hmm. in this just vortex of pain because it doesn't make sense and they're not able to connect with one another. Um, And then the article goes on to say for parents, pornography is divisive resulting in decreased quality of marriage and increasing the likelihood of divorce and separation, which has been well documented to be harmful to children. And then the author even goes on to talk about the impact of fathers being addicted to pornography and how that drastically impacts their ability to emotionally connect with their children so then you have children who grow up in homes and are experiencing emotional de- um, you know, detachment disorders and, because they've never had someone who's able to form authentic relationships with them. 
Yeah, I'm glad you had that article. Yeah, that's that's an article that actually gives research, and I love that, statistics. And, And it is, first and foremost, as women, we have to protect our kids, first and foremost. Okay. And then we have to protect ourselves. And, you know, you and I both know that, Women are very hard on themselves, and they're, they don't feel good about their looks, and they don't feel good about their bodies, and, you know, they forget that they, their bodies are their temple, and that they birth baby, babies from their bodies, and all sorts of incredible things. And, Michelle, how many children do you have? We have five. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you really yeah. have an amazing <laughs> God gift of, of a of being able to um, provide something so precious. And and so I am so happy that you wanted to dialogue today about not allowing that to happen. And, you know, I almost think maybe we need to get together and put together um, a petition, if you will, uh, to send oh. it all. It, you know, I... I think our association, there'd be a lot of women in APSAS that would be more than happy to sign that. Um, so maybe we need to think about yeah. being able, I don't know, I I've think never that done would a petition. I haven't but, either. I will tell you, yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, gonna I, say, gonna say I think we should ask our, 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 go ahead, Carol. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, there is a petition for the Super Bowl show. There's a oh, petition yes, for the yes. Super Bowl show on the exploitation website. Okay. How about so Dolly Parton? I don't think there's anything for Dolly Parton. But I would okay. love it. Okay. Well, let me let me do some research and see what we can do and you know, I don't know if we can make a difference, but I know that I actually believe we can. I believe we're doing it already. I believe the show okay. just did it. People that are listening did it. And certainly you bringing it to the forefront of our attention did it. So that's how I think things are changed is one person at a time. Yes, absolutely. All right. Anything yeah. else you want to add? No, uh, well, I guess I'll tell you what I do because I didn't really introduce. I know that you introduced me before I got on, right, Carol? Um, I, I but actually did, anyone, but I want you to do it. Good. Okay, great. Well, I um, I am the – I love my job title. I call myself Lead Hopecaster uh, with a ministry called Hope Redefined, um, and we uh, support women facing sexual betrayal from a faith-based perspective. Um, so we're a Christian organization, and we do online support groups. Um, we also do one-to-one coaching, and then we also do a retreat. Um, uh, we generally offer them twice a year, but this year, given the circumstances, we had to postpone our retreat for this month. Um, so we'll have another retreat in October, and it's a um, we like to call it an intensive spiritual healing retreat. Um, but it is it is specifically for partners of sexual betrayal. Um, and we spend a lot of time um, allowing women to really get back to understanding who they are and who they were meant to be, um, but also how any kind of this betrayal has impacted their identity in Christ. So um, 
So, yeah, but you can, if you would like to reach out to me, you're welcome to find us on Facebook. We have a website, hoperedefined.com. Um, and, yeah, so, and if you want, I've got the blog out there on Dolly Parton. You're welcome to get on our Facebook page and share it. We would love that and see if she actually gets to read it. So. And so I want to ask you, obviously, Hope Redefined is um, an amazing opportunity uh, for women to work through their betrayal, whether that's individually, in groups, retreats. So just give us a snippet of what your retreat is like and how many women go and um, tell us a little bit about your co-facilitators and let let our listening audience know that this is really a well-thought-out, structured retreat uh, that starts a couple of weeks before the retreat and goes way after. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this, our retreat was, uh, I co- we co-authored this. I wrote this retreat with um, a local therapist here in Knoxville. Her name is Marisha Robinson, and she's a licensed um, counselor here in Knoxville. Um, and she has been working with partners for 14, I think, years. Was, I think that's her number. Um, and she is, it is also a part of her own story. And so that's kind of what drew us to each other was we were both caring for women in this same space. Um, and then it was just a dream to really be able to create a safe space for women to come together and heal. Um, and so the way that we've structured this retreat is we actually keep it very small. We cap it out no more than 12 women. We usually have somewhere between 10 and 12 women. But we also have an entire team of women that support and serve as volunteers in this retreat. And so um, several weeks before the retreat starts, you're contacted by a buddy that we pray over those lists and we just, we figure out who on our volunteer team is going to be the best buddy for um, a woman that's coming. And so we do that intentionally because we want women to feel like I know somebody. So they're going to be able to show up and they're not going to just be standing there and not have a clue. Um, But this, this, this retreat is, for the participant, like we are there to serve them wholeheartedly with everything that God has given us. Um, and so the women come in and it is a three day retreat. It starts at noon on a Friday and ends around three o'clock on a Sunday. Um, and the retreat cost includes all your lodging, all your food, all the materials for the retreat. Um, and so we begin the retreat by actually giving women the opportunity to share their story. And for some that sounds downright terrifying, but for others, it's, it's when you do it, you really don't understand the gift it is to be able to just say the truth out loud and let others just sit with you in it. And so that's kind of, we, we, we have a lot of worship within the retreat, but it's done um, in a really safe environment. We really stress confidentiality to really help women feel safe in that space. Um, and then the next day we move into really giving women the opportunity and permission to grieve and even have a conversation around forgiveness. And the thing that we continue to stress throughout the whole retreat is that we don't have an agenda. That is not our job. It's not our hope that by the end you're, you know, a puddle of tears because we managed to work you. <laughs> like that is not our heart at all. Our heart is to be able to bring women in and allow them the space and the permission to be right where they are. Because the reality of it is, is that most, most if not all women, never have the space to grieve. And we, as Christians especially, but I think across the board, 
the pressure to forgive is really heavy. And what I've come to understand and learn in my own story is that asking a woman to forgive betrayal before she's ever been given permission to grieve is impossible. You can't ask her to forgive for things that she doesn't even understand are true losses. And so we really stress that. We invite women in that space and give them some very tangible experiences um, throughout the retreat. Um, And the entire time we have that staff of volunteers, and I'm telling you, these women are rock stars, um, and they are there to support, to be praying over, interceding um, over the participants the whole weekend. And then we eventually move into what's next. Because it's one thing to be able to, to sit in the understanding of the loss and the pain, but how do we, in a healthy way, as a woman, um, a, you know, a child of God, how do we still stay in this battle? Whether that means we're actually staying in the relationship or not isn't the question that we're trying to answer. We're talking about how do I show up as a daughter of the king and live in this world? So we give some very tangible things that we walk them through about Um, surrendering certain things that have been strongholds in our lives. And then we even move into a section called surrounded, which I get super amped about because I love it. And I feel like that is the way that God is giving us a sense of ownership in our own healing, where we get to sit and be very intentional about our prayer life. Um, And it's not, I'm not a, (laughs) probably to pick that up my personality. Like I love real and I love tangible. So I'm not, I'm not saying just to pray harder, it'll get better. It's not that kind of um, instruction. It's very much a let's be really specific and intentional. You know, and the Lord, I mean, the Bible is very clear to pray without ceasing. But there's ways for us to be engaging in this and being warriors that we've been called and made to be. But betrayal mm-hmm. really sucks that out of us, and we forget. So, and then just to finish that out, once they leave the retreat, we actually have a one six more minute. I know. Okay, I got one more minute. There is a six-week post group that they are part of with that same group of women, and so they do a six-week aftercare group online. And we have one coming up in October. Okay, so they can sign up by going to www.hoperedefined.com? Dot com. Yep, and it's right on our website. I think our listening yeah. audience can hear the passion in your voice. And, Michelle, thank you so much for everything <laughs> that you do to contribute to APSAS as well as to women all over the world. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right. Well, we are at the end of our show. And um, she's really an amazing woman. There is no doubt about it. So if you like what you heard, then please take a look at her website, and that is www.hopefullydefined.com. And as I say at the end of every show, hey, there will only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly be yourself and stay safe and be kind. And we'll see you next week for more. Betrayal Recovery Radio.